Welcome to the Persistence You podcast with Lisbeth, and that's you as in university. But we're much more of a community here. I'm your host, Lisbeth Meredith, author, speaker, and online teacher. Each week, I'll be delivering stories from amazing survivors and strivers, all threaded together with a dose of persistence. So glad you're listening. I can't even tell you how much fun it was to interview Karen Vaughn, who I now consider to be a friend, though she lives continents away. Karen hosted me on Get Off the Bench podcast, and I adore the difference she's making in her world based on, you know, it all started with losing her sister, and her sister died far too young. I'd just like to mention my own sister. I have a number of them, and they're all amazing in their own ways. My oldest sister is, in fact, on her last days, and Karen describes herself as the oldest sister in her big family. She was the smoky bear, and my smoky bear is Wanda, and she's been pretty incredible, so I want to dedicate this episode to her because being an oldest sibling, as some of you know, you absorb so much more of the good and the bad in a family dynamic, and that is something to really honor at times. Huge thank you to Wanda for all you have done for us siblings, and you will never be forgotten. Welcome back, and this week I am so excited to have my friend Karen Vaughn patching in from Australia today. Karen and I met when I was a guest on her podcast recently, Get Off the Bench, and Karen is such a dear, and I suspect that someday we'll meet in person. Karen grew up in a close family in Australia, and she was particularly close, she, pretty close to her siblings. She writes that she was at one point a musician, living the carefree rock star life, loving the attention, embracing her talents, and then something happened that absolutely changed everything. So we will not only talk about that pivotal moment, but more importantly, what Karen has done with it to really make a huge difference in her world. And thank you so much for being here, Karen. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. It's so much fun. I also should say that Karen lives on a farm, a rescue farm, right? Yeah. And I'm dying to meet your donkeys, your horses, cats and dogs. Oh my goodness. So yes. You so inspiring. You will. (laughs) I will. But Karen, do please take us back to your youth and and just give us, you know, an idea of your family, sibling relationships, and then your sister. Tell us a little bit more. So there was um, four of us born very close together within six years and all girls. And, you know, my dad used to complain about that jokingly, but, you know, (laughs) how am I going to deal with all these women? But uh, we had a, we were really close, you know. We used to always play music and skid across the floor on the old records, and you know, it was, we were we were really good friends. And then um, nine years later, another one comes along, you know, and so she was she was a bit disjointed. She was the baby that we all spoiled, but we're as a family very very close, and um, you know, not one of those families that are always doted over. Just our parents were just always supported us and just said, well, you make your own mistakes and, you, you know, whatever you do, we'll support you. So it was fantastic. And I wanted to be a, a rock star, you know, from when I was seven. And uh, my, <laughs> next one, my next son neighbor played guitar and she yodeled real country and western. I said, oh, I want to be like that. 
And uh, anyway, when I was seven, mum got me a guitar. She said, you know, if you're still keen when you're seven, I'll get you a guitar. And so I turned seven. I said, where's that guitar? You know, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so, you know, then I fancied myself as a rock star. And and so I, I probably drove all the neighbours mad. I'd have the window open. They could hear me playing and singing terribly, absolutely terribly. <laughs> The pivotal point came with that is that, um, you know, I was with uh, a, a band and I wasn't the singer, but a girl was the singer and was, was on 15. And and we had a gig the next day and, and she pulled out and they said, you'll have to sing. And I said, I can't sing. And they said, why not? Oh You're a goodness. girl. And I'm like, well, how <laughs> all girls can sing? Anyway, so they kind of threw me in. And, you know, this was sort of, I suppose this is when I learned at a very young age that, um Sometimes you've got to be courageous. You just have to bite the bullet as, 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 as scared as you are. So I played all these dodgy gigs, you know, and singing, and I was terrible. And at one point they'll throw money, and I think it was to shut me up. But I eventually <laughs> got better and better and better, you know, and to the point that, you know, I, 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 made, I made significant amounts of money from my, from my music. Wow. And, um, yeah, but I was a rebel. I was a bloody rebel, and I was... <laughs> You know, in a lot of trouble all the time. I was one of those kids. <laughs> what was the band called, Karen? Oh God, I don't I don't remember. Oh, that band was called Zenith. I do remember. Zenith. Zenith. Okay. Yeah. There you are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was just a I was a rebel, but um and I wasn't gonna just go into the whole school system and do as I was told. I was always in trouble. Karen always distracts kids. If Karen would stop talking, things would be better. Do you know all that kind of stuff? Yes. So, that's pretty much my youth, yeah. <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. And then what happened with as you got older, you're in the band. You just want me to say carefree and fun. <laughs> Ah, uh, look, yeah, and so like, like yeah, as anybody else, you know, I went through relationships and hard times and struggles and identity crisis and you know all sorts of stuff. You know, I I came out as as gay. You know, but, well, I was always gay, but I came out when I was twenty eight to my parents and absolutely shitting myself. Do you know they were going to be? Oh my god, what are they going to say to me? And they're like, yeah, yeah, all right, we already know that. Just and, and their advice was, their words were, we don't care what you do, just don't hurt anyone. You know, and it was at that right. point when I was 28 and I just realised how how wonderful my parents truly were, Do you know, that, that all they cared about was don't hurt anyone. Right. They um, love you. They want you the best for you. Just don't hurt anyone. I mean, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. I think that's I think that's great. And so when I was in my uh, mid-30s, uh, I was playing a gig and, you know, I was always the protector of our family because I'm the oldest and I always wanted to, you know, always wanted to make sure things were right. And if we went camping, you know, no one was allowed to have a fire after a certain time. And, you know, I was like the smoky bear of the family looking after everybody. And smoky um, bear, I love that. <laughs> that's what they called me jokingly, you know. And uh, so, and I was at this gig and my phone rang and I was, I could see it ringing, but I was playing. So when we had a break, I looked at it and it was from one of my sister's, Michelle, and she's the uh, the third one down, and she's telling me that the fourth one down, so my second younger sister, had been diagnosed with cancer, and I was like, I didn't see the C word for cancer or cure or you know any of that kind of stuff. I only saw D, D for death, you know, and that that was it. 
And it really, really shook me to the core. I don't know how the hell I finished that gig, but I did, you know, and got back up on stage and pretended like everything was fine. But it, it became then a, this uh, five-year journey or challenge or, you know, upheaval, I guess, to save her life because I was the oldest and that was my duty. I had to save her life no matter what. And, you know, I even employed witch doctors right at the very end, anything I could find to, and she kept saying, stop making me drink this stuff, you know. <laughs> but, you know, she was like, oh, enough's enough, Karen. But How anyway, old was she, Karen? She, how, she, how sorry? old was she at the time? She was um she was diagnosed in her late twenties and she died at twenty three. Uh thirty three. Oh, okay. She always says, you know, same age as Jesus. She says, I'm dying at the same age as <laughs> but we're not we're not a religious family, but that meant something to her, you know. Right. And uh, you know, so she, she had kids. She right. had kids and she had two twin boys that were seven and a young girl four. And you know, I remember she said, I just got to see Steph go to school. You know, that's just so important. Stephanie had her first day at school and she came back to the hospital, told Carolyn, my first day at school was good and I drew a picture for you, mummy, and all this, and the very next day she died. You know, so it was kind of like, you know, how they say people hang on, you know, just for for something. So, um, yeah, so I mean, there's a, there's a million stories within that, but you know, we haven't got time for all that. But ultimately, I believed I was a failure. You know, which I know is not true, but it's that feeling. You know, I I couldn't right. save her life, and I I I should have been able to because in the past I was always able to fix things. You know, and yeah, so that kind of that 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 really beat me up, you know, and I sort of withdrew from life a bit and I did still keep playing but not the same, you know, it just didn't have the right. same heart. And I still kept playing for another 20 years, you know, no, that, that's not true, 15 years because I haven't been singing for five years. But, um, yeah, and I just, yeah, I, I don't know, and I just had to work my way through it and eventually it led me to, uh, you know, my path of altruism and I don't know, do you want me to, do you want me to, Wham, I'm into that story. <laughs> I love the idea. I love that you supported her as she lived, even though she was in a relationship. And I know you mentioned before that was not healthy. You know, her relationship with her husband was not healthy. Yeah. But you couldn't fix that. But no. you knew after she passed, here's something you could do. Yeah. And so when did you, after the funk, after the depression, the grieving, at what point did you think, She's not here anymore to do the things. And I don't know what she would have done if she did live, but uh, she's not here to be able to do that. Life is short. So then what did you do? When did that happen and what did you do? You you know, I I went and worked in a nursery. I think you call it a garden center in America, you know, so that I could hide behind the plants. Do you you know? And uh, I could grieve and, and nobody would see me and I didn't have to be talking to people anyway that Taylor turned out a disaster I ended up locking the boss in the in the shed and you know she, she was such a thing but anyway um but but the my it was worth uh, a try it was worth a try she lived because a few days later I saw her in the supermarket so somebody let her out but uh she was she was such a such a nasty person but it was kind of um 
you know, that I guess the town, we were, because we were um, a good family, you know, and very well known in the town and very well supported and very much a community type family, um, you know, the community sort of rallied around a bit and several of them asked me, would you like to be on the committee for the Real Life for Life, which is a cancer council event, you know, and it raised money. You walk around a track. I'm not sure if you have them in America, but, and I said, yeah. And then I said, you know what? I'll take on three roles. So I think it was just my way of saying, oh, I've got to do something. I've got to invest, you know. So right. I did three three roles in this committee and, you know, it was it was an utter success. And so many people said to me later, oh, my God, you know, what, what a job you did. It was fantastic. And, and I noticed that it wasn't the praise that I was excited about hearing. It was the, um, the, the recognition that I... I had the power within me to make a difference to so many people's lives and to to touch so many so many hearts, you know. And it was an extremely powerful moment, realizing that my God, if you if you put your foot forward into the into something that's serving others, suddenly the world opens up. Do you, you can you can do anything, and so. That was the turning point where I realised, man, I can do anything. And saying that, though, it did take me eleven years to really, really find my find my feet. You, you know, I, I I did a lot of things. I, I quit my job. I became a, um, a a disability. I started doing a disability course so I could work with people with disability because I wanted to do that when I was younger. I thought life's too short. Let's do these great right. things. And, then I started teaching people, other people at a tertiary institute, you know, how to, how they could work with people with a disability and I became an autism and behaviour specialist and um, that was great, changing people's lives, you know, sticking up for the underdog, making sure that everyone had a fair crack at things. It was great. And then I um, ended up writing the book Magnificent Kids because um, you know, people were saying to me, fix these kids, fix these kids. And I'm like, man, there's nothing wrong with the kids. Is the system's wrong. And I think for me as a younger person too, when I was a kid, um, the system didn't suit me either. You know, I, I had the intelligence to to get through school, but it the way it was done didn't suit me. And so it sort of meant a lot to me to unpack the magnificence in a lot of people the book's not about um people with autism it's about um kids under 18 starting world-changing projects and I love that that has to be so exciting to to meet the kids to research to meet all the children who are doing something spectacular to serve their world before they're an adult yeah fantastic so so powerful and it really made me realize, man, you know, and I didn't do that till I was 50 and I kind of got a kick in the bum and I was kind of like, Karen, these kids are under 18 and some of them were seven and eight and they were changing the world. And I was 50 and I'm like, <laughs> man, you've got to pull your finger out. You know, you've got to do so much more. And so, um, yeah, then I, I'm, I'm ex- I need to cough. I'm sorry, but it's okay. <coughs> I might have COVID. I've got this dry cough and it's <coughs> driving me insane. Oh no. Yeah, it's all right. So then I um the next thing was that book led to me um starting a not-for-profit in Africa called One Planet Classrooms. 
And uh, it started off as a Skype project. I wanted to connect, uh, you know, classrooms in Australia with classrooms in Africa. And I thought, oh, wow, what a fantastic thing. They can Skype. Anyway, computers was a problem, you know. And it took me eight months or something to get any laptops into Africa. It was a massive disaster, a massive failure. <laughs> because, you know, I didn't do any research. I just sort of jumped into the good feeling, you know, right. and I can make a difference to people. And, and, and it was incredible because I sent laptops to a country where 95% of them don't even have power. So there, there's right. a big problem already, right? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> oh, well. And, yeah, oh, well. It doesn't matter. It's They've the little laptops. things. <laughs> And, and and the kids were not even in class at the same time. So it was just going to, you know, I, I didn't even consider time zones. But what I found out was um, all these girls were the ones that were collecting water and, uh, you know, little girls as young as three carrying jerry cans is the size of them, you know, and right. they were missing out on school because they would go, uh, the school would send them in the afternoon to go fetch water and what ultimately happens is they don't pass and they can't go to secondary school and they get married off. Uh, you know, 11, 12-year-olds marrying 40-year-old men and it's not a marriage of um, love, it's uh, right. it's it's disastrous for them. And and not only that, a lot of the girls are getting um, sexually assaulted on the way to get the water. And, and further, the water is just filled with worms and bugs and it's just disgusting. So Dangerous. everything about it was just just horrible for these girls. So what, what happened was as when I started this program, I had 45 schools registered and they were I like, know. They were all telling me about all these problems and when it didn't work, I decided I could run off with my tail between my legs and say, I'm another failure, yet again, I failed. Or I could say, well, hang on a minute, I, I'm on the ground here, I've under, I'm understanding this, I've got the capacity to make a difference to people's lives. And so I started then doing, um, putting in solar systems and water tanks into schools and connecting water to villages and putting in water wells and you know, you know that that type of thing we bought we've bought stacks of land for women's empowerment projects and so the the women are not at the mercy of the men you know they they're the ones controlling the situation um we got a student sponsorship program as well you know to keep kids in school and so you know it's built to this uh, amazing thousands of lives will have been saved or at least changed you know just because of this program so that that led to that, and and do do you want to actually ask anything? Because I'm just talking and talking. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic that you did that. I also really appreciate that you didn't just abandon the whole idea. You could yeah. have just said, you know, that didn't work out. People told me I could probably not make a difference anyway in a faraway country. Why did I even try that? Never mind. And then go back to whatever you were doing before. So I like that you just looked at it and thought, well, what do they need? If I can't get the computers and the laptops or whatever they need to plug in, what yeah. do they need to keep them safer? So, I mean, that's really fantastic. Do you think sometimes about what your sister would be doing if she would have lived a longer life? No, um, I, she, 
She was very um, involved in community stuff, in sports, do you know, and, and she mm-hmm. just, she was, I don't know now because now she'd be 50, do you know, and her kids are, have just become young adults. And yeah. But ultimately all she cared about, and I don't mean this in a all she cared about, you know, but her, her, her one and only priority was her family, do you know, her kids. And yes. she was that invested in in loving her kids, do you, you know, that she seemingly had no ambition for herself other than to just make sure these kids had pure love. Do you, you know, that, yes. that was her ultimate goal. So what would she be doing now? I, I have no idea, you know, but she... Um, she would. She, her idea of happiness was just contentment. Was to have peace and a content life. You know that that was. Um, so I don't think that she'd be doing all these things that I'm doing. However, um, I know damn well she'd be extraordinarily proud of everything. Do you, you know? And yes. and she'd be so so bloody happy for me doing it. And also, what I've done has really inspired. Um, her kids and particularly her youngest, her, her daughter, Steph, who has a lot to do with me now and I think that, you know, she's always says I'm her greatest inspiration and, Aww. you know, so so she's doing great things. She's doing working with youth, troubled youth and homeless kids and that sort of stuff now. So I love it. You know, I know that her mum would be looking at her really proud that, you know, that, the stuff I've done as a legacy to Carolyn has has inspired Steph to step up and you know um, change the world. So that's yeah. fantastic. I love you it. know I, I you talked a little bit about you know the book that the children wrote and then the book Get Off the Bench, yeah. which is now your podcast. Could, so could you talk a little bit about how that all came together? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I start. I also in between one planet classrooms and get off the bench. I started um, girls with hammers. I was at an international women's day, and there was a card on the table that said, "I will launch a purposeful female focused initiative." And I came home and I put my foot in it and thought, "Shit, what am I going to do?" Anyway, so I started girls with hammers, and it's a women's empowerment thing. It's not 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 hammers. It's not woodwork, but it's about building stronger women. Okay. And so what happened from all these things? Uh, the book and. Um, one Planet Classrooms and Girls and Hammers, I started getting asked to talk about it, you know, and asked to speak at conferences and, you know, even stuff all around the, around the world. And then I was going to speak at one conference, which I did speak at, and the guy says to me, can you run a workshop? And I said, yeah, what on? And he said, helping people kickstart projects, you know, and I'm like, why are you asking me? I've got no idea, you know. Anyway, <laughs> isn't it funny we can't see what we do? And so I did this, and, and as I was, um, it was only for an hour, and as I was going through it, I'm like, oh, man, you need to know more about this. Oh, oh, what about funding? You need to know about funding. Oh, you need to know about. So I said, give me your emails, and, and I'll, I'm going to do a big PDF, and I'll send it to you. And when I started typing out this PDF, I was so excited about it, and I, I didn't realise how much I loved this stuff. And within four weeks, I had a book and I just thought, well, you know what, they can have the whole book. I'm just going to publish it as a book and then they can have that. And looking back now, there's probably things I would have changed now, but I don't care. You know, so many people have told me that book has has kickstarted their project. So uh, that, that's that's the ultimate for me, even if only one person had. And 
And so then what happened was I started doing workshops all around the world, you know, and I had a, how to kickstart your project, how to get over that first hump. And then I wanted to do a podcast and I was doing another podcast with a guy in another part of Australia, but it was just too logistically, we didn't, we, we weren't using Zoom and Squad, Squadcast, right. we weren't using all this stuff. So we're trying to do it over in the same room, you know, with a telephone and it was it was so hard. And so we sort of stopped doing it. But then I thought, I've got to do my own. I have to do my own. I thought, well, why wouldn't I do Get Off the Bench? Why wouldn't I interview people like you, you know, who have done something, you know, just gotten their bum off the bench and decided I'm going to do this. And because if I showcase people like you and others who have found this inner strength and they've taken the leap of faith and they've pushed themselves through the hard parts, you know, other people listening are going to say, if she can, I can too. Do you, and, and Absolutely. I love showing the backstory of the hardships because people often think, am I the only one going through this hard stuff, you know? But when right. they hear other people talk about it, you know, it's um they think maybe I can, but that had a few false false starts. I wanted to start at the start of 2020, but a couple of weeks before that, my youngest sister had a cardiac arrest. And then mm-hmm. I just thought, well, man, it's now's not the time. By the way, she survived. Um, Good. less than 20% of people survive, and even less than that survive without a brain injury or you know, without complications and she managed to survive without a brain injury. She has got a pacemaker and a defibrillator in now, you know, to, to in case sure. because she has um, something in our family, you know, irregular heartbeats that could just drop you. So um, and then we had the bushfires, you know, the, you will remember the oh, big yes. Australian bushfires um, and they were not far from, you know, from us and only an, an hour or 50 minutes, but we all know when we live in those places, um, people in California would know the same, is that when the fire ha- reaches fury, an hour away is, it'll be here in 20 minutes if if, it, if the wind turns, you know. So it was extremely stressful and I wanted to help the animals, all of the, we lost over a billion, we lost several billion creatures, but um, yeah. Uh, koalas and you know they had no chance of getting out I was angry um, I was upset with the government I was upset with climate change and nobody taking action and, you know I was just in a state and um, I, I offered to help um, go and collect animals you know with an animal rescue place I, they didn't take me so I felt like I, that was a personal rejection you know so I went right. through this whole I'm worthless I'm useless um, you know what can I do? I'm helpless and hopeless. And, you know, so it was actually really knocked me right off my perch. And and it's probably the, probably one of the most significant times I've really been knocked off my perch, you know, felt like there's nothing I can do, just nothing. And then, um, and then, and then COVID hit. (laughs) And then I was like, this is never going to happen unless I, because who's going to get off the bench now? Now with COVID, you know, who's this? <laughs> We're stuck to the bench. We're <laughs> stuck, you know. But then I thought, no, no, you know what? Because if I'm feeling like I can't help, if I can inspire somebody else to kickstart their project and they have 
I don't know, they have access to something that I don't have access to, they can make a difference, you, you know. Right. So, I so I got it. that up running and, oh, you know what, I'm a, I'm 100 episodes next week on the week. Oh, up. my goodness, congratulations. <laughs> I know. I mean, I think it's just so terrific that your sister's death was an inspirational moment for you to realize, like, wait a minute, Life is short and yep. I've got to do something with this, mm-hmm. something meaningful yep. uh, with my time. And you found something that just sparked a passion in you and it doesn't always turn out elegantly. So I think <laughs> no. it doesn't. So, I mean, I like, I've done my own things that, you know, some things have turned out really well and some things have turned out horribly, especially yep. when you're talking about a long distance charity, it's very hard to know exactly what the needs are and how you actually will, will that help actually be rendered, but you didn't give up. And so I really love that you still found a meaningful way to do it. And also to teach other people what to do with what's inside them. They have their own things to give their own gifts to give from. Yeah. And I think, you know, yes, the pandemic did show us that we are not in control and we probably never will have that optimistic feeling that we are ever again, quite, quite like we mistakenly used to, but that doesn't mean that we can't impact the world. So I think it's terrific what you're doing. And and also you talked about contentment, you know, that your sister would have been really content, you know, to love on her children and, and now they are grown. And I adore that you also have your own contentment as we spoke before this interview you know, you have your own contentment, but one doesn't have to have children even to have that experience of I've given, I've nurtured, and I'm being nurtured. And that is a beautiful thing. Oh. You know, that is a very beautiful feeling. So it, I love what you're doing. You know, I have this thing, a lot of people say, I want to have children because when I'm old, I want someone to love me. But I always think when I'm old, I want someone to love. Do you know, it's right. Because I think, and and that can be an animal, that can be a project, you know, that can That's be right. anything like that that comes from your heart. Because I think you, that it's that reason to get up every day, you know, is to right. invest love into something. And yeah, and we've got our rescue fight. We've got our rescue animals here, so, you know. And that sounds absolutely exquisite to me. <laughs> it really does. I yeah. love it. I love that you built a life that you love. I have, and and that's what I want to help other people do because um, I believe that we're all born with magnificence inside us. I believe that we all need that to be unlocked and we need to design the life that we that brings us joy, that brings meaning and purpose, that a life that we truly love. And that doesn't mean perfect because there is no such thing. But to get up every day and say, my life matters, you know, your life matters, you know, what What can we do? How can we build this world to be better for everybody? It, that gets you up every day. Do you, you know what's... Um, yes, oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's mm-hmm. not contingent upon things being easy in our personal lives, things being smooth and wonderful in the world, mm-hmm. great wealth, any of that. It yeah. really comes from inside you, the, the motivation to do good and the discipline to show up to do yeah. what what you're motivated to do. So that's fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, where can people learn more about you, your books, and the podcast? 
I think the simplest place is just go to my website. So that's kerrenvaughan.com, K-E-R-R-Y-N-V-A-U-G-H-A-N.com. but you know join me on instagram join me on facebook you know linkedin i'm on linkedin so i would love to connect with anybody i just as long as you're good no as long as you're kind no i love i love um people who want to want to be kind just want to be good so please connect with me i would absolutely love that Absolutely love adore it. that. And uh, definitely I will put in the show notes where people can get a hold of you as well, just so that people know. And uh, maybe we could include like a picture of the farm or something like that, you know, the <laughs> animals if you wanted. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I always adore talking to you. So thank you so much, Karen. I know jokingly, you know, we agreed that you're ahead of me by several hours. So it's Monday where you are, it's Sunday night where I am. And I'm so grateful that you spent the time with me again. So thanks so much Oh, it's until my we see each other. Thank you very much for having me. And we will see each other. You're coming over here for a visit. I can't, I can't wait. wait. I already talked to one of my daughters about it. She's like, rescue animals, say no more. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't wait to have you here. I can tell you. <laughs> Thank you so but much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. My pleasure. It was a joy. So- Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow. And if you've really, really enjoyed it, tell a friend and go ahead and give us a review. I'll see you next week. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.